At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 697th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Greg Peterson coming to you from the new Urban Farm in Asheville, North Carolina, and I'm here with Suzanne Bontempo tonight. Hello, Suzanne. Hi. So happy to be here. Really excited. It's going to yeah. be fun. Thanks for being here. We interviewed you for the podcast about 400 episodes ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I remember when I got done, I remember telling Janice, oh my gosh, I want to work with her again. She's so smart. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be back. This is going to be fun. It's one of my most favorite topics to talk about. So bugs. Yeah. I imagine this time will go far too fast. Right, exactly. Suzanne works as an environmental educator teaching the principles of integrated pest management. That is an acronym that looks like IPM, and that's for Janice. Janice loves acronyms. Integrated pest management for sustainable, eco-friendly pest management around the home and garden. Suzanne is the owner of Plant Harmony and the program manager for Our Water, Our World, uh, which was recognized for excellence in she was recognized for excellence in her field, winning the 2013 CA California IPM Innovators Award. Congratulations. Thank you. Suzanne has worked as a professional gardener for over 25 years and loves teaching folks how to grow bountiful gardens that are also safe and healthy for you, your family, and the environment. Awesome. Yeah. And we have Janice, <laughs> Janice in her infamous wisdom put together a little description about what we're going to talk about tonight. It goes like this. Bugs play a vital role in the health of an ecosystem. And with a little strategic planting, we can invite the good ones. By the way, like 98% of them are good ones, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. We can invite the good ones to join us in growing our gardens. Join us as we talk with Suzanne Von Tempo about planning ahead for bugs, how to recognize the difference between pests and beneficials, and how to encourage the ones we want in our gardens. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much. All right, I'm excited. Let's talk about these good bugs. We can talk so, about some bad bugs too, but. Right? So when I went back to college in 1999, one of the classes that I took uh, getting a botany minor was IPM, Integrated Pest Management. Mm. And I, you know, she, we were all set up to actually, if I wanted to go take the test and like that, I didn't do it. But I got this big binder of, you know, information on IPM. Can you just tell, because that's a lot of data. Can you tell everybody <laughs> what it is simply? Yeah, I sure can. I like to say it's kind of a holistic approach to gardening. Mm -hmm. But first, it really allows us to look at the, our gardens or the environment as a whole, and then to identify 
what's going on? Is it, you know, what's the pest? We have to identify the pest because if we can't identify it, we can't uh, resolve that problem. Mm-hmm. And then kind of monitor and see, is this problem something that I have to take action on or will it resolve itself? Is it a seasonal situation or, you know, so forth. And then from there, if we have to take action, the actions in IPM are called controls. So we have mm-hmm. cultural controls, which are bolstering the health of the environment, you know, adding that compost, protecting root zones with a layer of mulch on top of the soil, feeding with organic fertilizers and watering properly, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's really a tricky one for most people. And then the second one is mechanical controls or physical controls, which are the tools we use to manage the pest problems, which is a lot of tools and, you know, maybe hand pulling weeds and so forth. And then there's biological controls, which is working with living organisms to manage pest problems, such as beneficial insects. And then there's also uh, chemical controls, which are the pesticides. Now, I like to practice that if there is a plant in your garden that has never really thrived in the way that you'd like, or if it has always been a problem, instead of using a bunch of pesticides to manage it, just let's get the shovel out and let's just remove that plant and put something in that would thrive much better. Pesticides are part of IPM, but we always want to use them as a last resort. We always want to use the least toxic as possible. And we really want to spot apply, really follow those application instructions that are on the label and be really careful because even eco-friendly pesticides actually can cause more harm than good when not used properly. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that I seem to remember was that, that I learned from that class 20 some years ago was that the most, most of the problems that occur with applying pesticides come with homeowners Yeah, because they just don't know how to do it. Yeah. I mean, the labels are really hard to read. The active ingredient is the tiniest, tiniest font possible. And the labels are like a big book that, you know, unfolds and it's a little overwhelming and like what I don't understand, like, what is it saying? So I can relate to folks when they get a little confused or, you know, they just want to go forget, I don't need to read the label. However, the label provides a lot of information, you know, limits to how many times we can apply a product or, you know, how many days to harvest before we can harvest or the last time you can apply you know, if there's a frost warning or if there's going to be excessive heat, these types of things will help us to apply that product with a little bit more ease. However, I just like to say, typically the pesticides are the very last, you know, exactly. um, action. We should always yeah. look at all of these other methods first, because when we have looked at these, employed these other actions, we typically aren't going to have pest problems. It is very rare that we'll have pest problems that impact our home gardens. We're not growing commercial crops. And anyone who's a guest today that is growing a commercial crop, I understand it might work a little differently. They might have to use different techniques. Yeah. Well, and what I have found over the years is that the healthier the plant, oh yeah, the less problems that we have with that plant. Is that Absolutely the case? right. Yeah. yeah. When we can plant the right plant in the right place and really uh, amend that soil and provide proper watering, which means really encouraging those root systems to grow deep Mm -hmm. and wide and reduce that watering as it becomes established and watering it according to what that plant's needs are once established. When we can really get it, you know, set it up for success, 
that plant is going to thrive with a lot of ease. And if a, a whole season of aphids comes and, you know, wants to, you know, take advantage of that plant and, you know, it's going to be able to grow through that with ease. And as well as other problems like, you know, the severity of heat and drought, that's a big mm -hmm. thing that a lot of the nation is faced with right now. Plants are really, you know, people don't really know how to handle their plants or manage them through times of excessive heat and drought. And so when we can set our plants up for success and understand really what's going on in the environment, the pest problems are, uh, are not as significant. And then having a little patience and tolerance to let the beneficial insects and the whole um, ecology of the garden work itself out mm -hmm. by monitoring. We always want to monitor and make sure things don't go too far, but yeah, the plants are really remarkable. You know, they really want to survive and thrive. So we typically are the ones that get in the way of that. Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and so healthy soil also has a lot to do with us. And then when we apply pesticides or herbicides to this, to the plants, then it negatively impacts the soil, right? It can, it can. What happens is, is oftentimes when we're applying the pesticides, specifically, you know, insecticides, we're killing beneficial insects. You know, for applying herbicides, if we're not really careful, if we don't understand how that product is, what is the mode of action of that, of that product, we sometimes can kill our desirable plants or not use the products properly in a way that we're not getting the results that we were expecting. And when we don't get the result we we're expecting, we think that maybe either the product was wrong or we didn't mix it strong enough or apply it enough. And so there's a lot of room for air. There's a lot of room for air when we're using pesticides. Yeah. Well, and I know that we have, to, and you said this earlier, we have to know what the problem is in yeah. order to treat it. Uh, yeah, you know, I've had I've had people contact me before and say, hey, "I have a bug in my garden. What do I treat it?" <laughs> yeah, uh, good yeah. question. All the time, all the time. That's a big question. We're taught to be afraid of bugs or afraid of what we don't know. Mm -hmm. And um, I can't tell you how many times I've spoke to folks, like in an event where they've come up to my table and they have a picture of a a soldier beetle, which is a cousin of the firefly. Mm -hmm. And they're beneficial. They're one of the first beneficials that come out in the spring looking for those aphids. And they're like, yeah, they're all over my plum tree. And I, I killed them all with neem. I'm so proud of myself. And I'm like, oh, sorry. They have my, I have my good bug brochure. I pass out to folks at events and he's the top one on, on the brochure. So they always feel a little bad, but I was like, now, you know, now, you know what yeah. it looks like. And we know that the soldier beetle is going to be your ally. You don't need to worry about it next time. So that's how we learn. We just learn from our mistakes, sadly. Right. So let's talk ladybugs. That's one of the things that I get a lot of questions about. And I've never done a lot with ladybugs because my experience with them is we, we put them out and they fly away. Yep. So when we, I get this question a lot myself. When we purchase ladybugs from the garden center, they'll come in a container of, let's just say about 500. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really important to release them during the sunset hours because we're going into the evening and they'll mm. be less likely to fly away. It's nice to just sprinkle the garden a little bit because they're going to be thirsty. They've been hibernating. And oftentimes when we see aphids like on the buds of our rose. I've got aphids on the bud of my rose. Oh my gosh. I, I want to, I don't want to use pesticides. I want to get some ladybugs. I go to the store, I buy them, I release them. 
properly in accordance to everything that I've been taught. And I see the ladybugs flying away. Well, the thing is, is that it might look like I have, you know, like a thousand aphids, but understand that ladybugs are hungry and they need to know that there's enough food for them and also enough food for them to lay their mm-hmm. eggs and to have enough for their, you know, the next, next life cycle. And though it might seem like we have a lot of aphids on that rosebud, we really don't have enough food for them. So they're out looking for food. They're not ding-dongs. They're hungry. They, you know, they know they got to go where there's enough food for everyone. So some will stick around and they will, you know, lay their eggs and continue a life cycle, but the majority of them will fly away. Well, and so you've mentioned aphids. And one question I get during the wrong time of the season is why, why is there aphids all over my broccoli? And I used to get this question in May and June in Phoenix when it was, you know, they were going to seed on their way out. So planting the right plant in the right season is also part of this process, right? Yeah, that's true. And what I've also noticed is uh, when plants, I like, as you mentioned, broccoli going, having it go to seed, I like to collect those seeds Mm -hmm. so that I can plant, you know, from seeds the following season. However, when I notice when plants bolt and start to go to seed, you know, they're developing their flowers, they're about to go to seed, they have a tendency to really get hit hard with aphids. And I don't know if this is scientifically correct, but my feeling on it is that that plant is stressed. It's already used up all its energy. Mm -hmm. It's kind of on its last leg. And so it's like, yeah, aphids have at it. I've got nothing else to give. And that's fine because we're not eating the plant at that stage anyway. Right. When... I'm about to go collect my seeds. There are no longer aphids on that plant. That plant is, you know, dry. I can harvest the seeds and save them accordingly. So I have a lot of tolerance. I also know that the aphids on that broccoli that has bolted is not going to go to the new crop of whatever is seasonally appropriate. It's really, uh, aphids are very host specific. Gosh, there's something like 400 different species of aphids. I don't know. I'd have to look up that scientific fact because that might be a little off. But you'll notice in the garden, aphids are coming a lot of different colors. And you'll notice that, you know, that orange aphid is really common on the scapulus or the milkweed. There's a bright limey green one that goes on the roses that we'll see. We'll see the that black aphid that's on fava beans as well as other mm. beans, you know, so and that dark charcoal one goes, we find it on the um on the kale broccoli one seems to be maybe it's a little paler but it might also be that charcoal gray i always forget oh my gosh knowing how many different kinds of aphids are that's a rainy thing love that christy you know christy wilhelmy garden nerd uh i'm not sure she's got the garden nerd podcast and i was on with her a few months ago Hmm. and she says one of the things that she does when the soft shells show up the soft shell insects including aphids she puts worm castings down there's, is it called casein that's in the worm castings that the plant uptakes and bugs yeah. the bugs? There's um, enzymes that actually will move through the plant. The plant does, yeah, it uh, takes up those, the enzymes and it actually works as a repellent. I wasn't really familiar with it specifically working on soft-bodied insects. I know it's really effective for just working as a preventative for a lot of pests, including diseases, you know, fungal diseases, but that's interesting. I love, see, I love learning new stuff all the time. This is why I love doing this podcast because I get to (laughs) talk to really smart people that know that know so much stuff. So it's like great fun. So 
what are the kinds of things that we can do to keep bugs out of our garden? Well, we don't want bugs out of the garden. Understand, ah. we have to have some food. So I always say plant and they'll come. And if we can plant a, a very wide range, you know, a, a variety of flowering plants that look like a, a sunflower, you know, mm -hmm. things like daisies, cosmos, erigeron, any asters, anything that looks like a sunflower or plants that are in clusters of tiny flowers, such as yarrow, a, a sweet alyssum, ceanothus, buckwheats. I might be mentioning only California specific plants, so I apologize. But when we have plants that have a lot of tiny flowers, mm -hmm. we're able to attract a variety of tiny pollinators as well as tiny beneficial insects. Most mm. of the beneficials are really tiny and the adults, not all of the adults of the beneficial insect world are going to feed on a protein meal. A lot of them are actually looking for nectar or need um, that pollen, you know, to supplement the diet or to be the primary diet, such as with lace wings. It's mm -hmm. the larval phase of that beneficial that is the primary, in a lot of cases, not all, is, um, is the primary bad bug, bad bug destroyer or you know Ooh. devourer. It's the larva that's going out there on the hunt looking for these insects to you know chomp on and enjoy. I always say they're like teenagers that they have teenage appetites. I don't know if anyone out there has had teenagers. They come in, they can drink a whole gallon of milk in like a half an hour. It's like, wow. Okay. So that's what I always kind of like to uh, equate my, the larval stage of many beneficial insects to. And what are beneficial insects and how do they work? Beneficial insects are insects that are going to provide some type of benefit to our garden. So mm -hmm. in this case, if we're talking about insects that will help or assist with pest management, we're looking at insects that actually are going to consume insects at some point of their life and, you know, some part of their life cycle. That's a I good saw, question. Yeah, I saw something really wild here. So I had some really nice tomato hornworms that had to be three inches long each. Mm -hmm. And Heidi and I, Heidi's my partner, Heidi and I were out there looking and at them one day and they were all covered with these little yeah. white things sticking up out of them. Yeah. Dozens of them on top of each one of those. And you're shaking your head. What are they? Well, I always, I get excited. I think that tomato hornworm is excited that it's got this extra bling on it. It's like, I'm special, <laughs> but what those little, uh, they almost look like little tiny grains of rice, like yep, mini grains exactly. of rice that are yeah. just like on the back. Those are actually parasitic wasps and parasitic wasps. Again, we have many species of parasitic wasps. These are not the type of wasps you might think of that are going to bother you at your outside dining or picnic. These are very tiny, very tiny. We don't even recognize them. Maybe about the size of a fungus gnat or a fruit fly. Wow. Um, and in some cases smaller and in some cases larger, but they actually lay their eggs actually on the outside of their host, or they can pierce inside of their host, which is the insect. Mm -hmm. And when that larvae, um, that egg hatches, the larvae will feed on that insect. And then um, oftentimes in the interior of that insect and emerging as an adult wasp. 
It's where they got the idea for that movie Aliens with Sigourney Weaver, uh, which <laughs> one of my favorite uh, sci-fi movies. Yeah, it's really scary. And um, yeah, if you see that in the garden, it is a little alarming. However, I just have to give a shout out to the tomato hornworms, though. They can really do a number on our tomato plants oh, that yes. will pupate into a very important pollinator, which is the hummingbird moth or the sphinx moth. Um, it's got a lot of different names. I mean, there's different species, but it's kind of cool. So if there's an opportunity to take that tomato hornworm and put it in an aquarium, uh, in, in a terrarium mm -hmm. and uh, have children, especially taking it to a school where children can observe the life cycle, it's kind of cool. Nice. So everybody out there, what questions do you have for Suzanne? Huey has an interesting question, and I suspect, Huey, that we're going to need more data from you. Uh, Huey says, my hollyhocks grow beautifully, but the leaves get decimated by something that I can't see. What are your hmm. thoughts? Well, that's a tough one. I would like to invite you to collect the leaves. Um, maybe it's past the hollyhock season. I know mine are um, a little bit done, but I would, you know, just notice the next time you have hollyhocks growing monitor uh, maybe employ some sticky traps if mm. that would be helpful yes. all those sticky traps are you know they will stick any insect that gets in that area so sometimes our beneficials and our pollinators will get stuck so just be mindful of that but monitoring yeah. is really helpful and then from there i if i am unsure of what's going on with a plant i go to here in California, we have a statewide IPM program through the, the university. So mm -hmm. I imagine you have extension offices as well, because I read a lot of articles from many extension offices across the United States. And oftentimes I will look up a plant or I will look up that plant in the area. So I'll say hollyhocks and then whatever, wherever I live, I'm in Sonoma County, California. So I'll say hollyhocks, pests of hollyhocks, Sonoma County, California. And then I'll look at all the pests that uh, might affect that plant. Uh, and then from there, it's kind of a process of elimination. I look at timing and so forth. And then I monitor and I look for any evidence. And then from there is how I kind of do my, you know, do my investigative work. And then I can identify what the problem is. And then I look, how can I prevent that problem from happening next time? Yeah. And so you're doing a little bit of research, observation and research. And yeah. I, I've been teaching permaculture for th over 30 years and observation, observe is number one. Yeah. That's the fun part about this work, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I can't really call it work because I'm just grateful that this is my career. But I, yeah, right? it's. It's 24-7 for me, so. <laughs> As I resemble that remark. Jackie, this is a great question from Jackie. She Very says, cool. is there something I can plant to draw beneficials that will deal with the grape skeletonizers? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, we talked about that on the last program. The grape skeletonizers. Now, this is a, this is a stupid question. I would imagine that there's parasitic wasps that might be a beneficial oh. insect for that larvae because it's a larvae form. Uh, that's it's the larvae of that insect that's doing the damage. From there, I would look at um, the life cycle of that insect. And at any point, if the larvae drops into the soil to either overwinter or to pupate, then we have the opportunity to apply beneficial nematodes. 
There's a couple different species of beneficial nematodes. So you want to make sure you get the right species, but when, and timing is tricky. You've got to really know the timing, but if we can then inoculate the soil with beneficial nematodes for those types of insects, cucumber beetles is one of them. You know, the larvae mm -hmm. will drop into the soil and overwinter leaf miner, like vegetable leaf miner that hits the chard, the beets and the spinach. That's another one we can use beneficial mm -hmm. nematodes for. That's another great option. I just am not sure specifically, again, I would have to look that up and see what are the beneficial insects for the grape skeletonizer. Yeah, and this is a big piece of data that I want everybody to take away from this conversation. And you said it a minute ago, and I want you to repeat it. Go to the Cooperative Extension or Google and ask what, what are bugs that affect broccoli? Mm -hmm. So say a little bit more, just re-repeat that, would you? So I, yeah, do a little web investigation to see if I have broccoli and I've got a pest that I can't identify, or I don't know what's going on. I will do a little research to see what are the pests that affect broccoli in my mm -hmm. area. And then from there, a list will come up and through process of elimination, it can help me identify what is the pest problem. And then from there, I'll look on uh, towards how to resolve that pest problem and how to prevent it from happening again. Mm -hmm. and, and what we, Jackie, what we do in Phoenix through the fruit tree program is we suggest people foliar feed their grapes. With foliar, compost tea? With compost tea, we have a, mm -hmm. a series of four different foliars that we use from High Creations. And what we've started to find is that the stronger the plants are, the less problem we have with skeletonizers. Yeah, absolutely. So that goes back to bolstering the health of the environment, making mm -hmm. sure that those plants are tip top prime health. And another cool thing about compost tea, from what I understand, I might not be scientifically correct, but I think in a similar format or in a similar way that the earthworm castings have enzymes and beneficial bacteria mm -hmm. that is actually going to help with pest management, help as a repellent to help repel pests on that plant. Compost tea is also doing a similar thing where it's bolstering the health of that plant and really strengthening the cells, the very outer cells of the leaf tissue to either repel those insects or to make mm -hmm. those insects not be able to chew or, you know, pierce their, the tissue with their sucking mouth parts, things like that. When I've read, it's, this is a long time ago, that plants that are suffering put oh. off a pheromone to bring mm -hmm. the bugs in. Yeah, that does happen with some plants. Not all plants, but mm -hmm. yeah, pl uh, bugs know when a plant is under stress mm -hmm. and will take advantage of that. Um, and thus the reason why when our broccoli is bolting and going to seed, that plant is just, there's no more, it ha it's, it's not necessarily stress. It just doesn't have anything any more vigor. So it's going to most likely get hit with aphids. Well, and that's the reason the bugs are there in the first place is to break down the plant material. So, and turn it into fertilizer for next time. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's part of, so having a little patience and tolerance for some pests is fine. I mean, that's when, yeah, we, sometimes we just, we freak out. It's very emotional. We go to the store, we buy, we're looking for something associates at the store may or may not be able to help us they not can't. to say that, you know, and oh, then we, 
we use a product and it wasn't the right product and we're wasting our time and money, but we don't even know and we're causing a bigger problem. Jewel says, yes, the foliar feeding works on grapes. Great. And I just put the link in, awesome. in the chat box for our foliar program at the Urban Farm for anybody that's interested. I have befriended a young lady right across the street from me here in Asheville, where I live. And she's really smart. She's really on top of things. But I've also been coaching her a little bit on her plants, because she's been planting out plants. And she planted some kind of uh, I can't even remember what it was. It's a it's a large bush that she, that's going to be a barrier from the street. And she texted me yesterday and asked me why the tip ends were brown, and it, not really brown but red. And she said she had got some neem oil and treated them with neem oil, and that fixed it. Well, when I looked at the interestingly though, when I looked at the plant, the plant is green, but when it shoots off a new branch, it's red. And then as it as, and then as it grows, it turns green. So the yeah. new growth is, so, I mean, people even think that a disease that isn't, they, they think that this might be a disease and it's not. So we, yeah. it really takes some research, you know, you need to. Yeah. And plant pathogens are really challenging and not always easy to identify. And then they oftentimes get confused with abiotic you know, disorders, you know, heat and, you know, wilt can sometimes, you know, look like, you know, wilt, heat and wilt damage can oftentimes look like a, a disease. Yeah. So that's all I'm going to say. That's, that's, that, a, that's a huge category that isn't always so easy to navigate. Right. When we just have to, we have to do a little bit of research. Mm -hmm. ST says, any ideas on how to deal with the leaf footed bugs on pomegranates? They damage oh my a gosh. lot of fruit. That is a big problem. That's not a pest I talk about a lot in my area, but some of my colleagues in Sacramento sure do. So again, I would have to look that up. I, yeah, I would have to, gosh, I'm sorry that I might That's be okay. disappointing you all. You know, you're good. Uh, yellow sticky traps might help. They would certainly help with proper identification. Yeah. And I know it's timing. You know, sometimes putting, and this is really cool. I've seen it on, you know, the social media sites, people will bag their fruit to prevent the pests from eating it. Mm. Oftentimes it's rodents. However, I do know that because uh, a pomegranate, though they can get very large, those fruits, you can kind of access each fruit and you can okay. put, you know, like a netted bag over each one. Well, and there are specific bags that are sold for that. Yes. Sometimes you can even, okay, this is something else that might sound really weird, but sometimes people will go out and um, vacuum them with like a small shop vac. Oh, yeah. uh, but here on the IPM site that I reference on a regular basis, it says to, you know, row cover and physically remove them to invite the nat uh, natural enemies, beneficials. So we'd have to look at that. And I, I could come up with a few more, you know, you, good suggestions, but yeah. I'd have to take a little time to do that. Are you familiar with Arbico Organics? In yeah, they're, mm -hmm, they're fantastic. They're yeah. fantastic. And that's something else to share is that, you know, not only will your local extension office be really helpful, but if you can also find a local insectary. So a business in your close proximity 
that supplies biocontrols to not only homeowners or home gardeners, but to, you know, ag as well, to commercial mm-hmm. growers as well. It's fascinating how fan, what a fantastic resource they can be because you can develop this relationship, ask them questions. They can provide you with the proper insect that you would need to manage that problem. And you actually get a lot more information in regards to, you know, timing and of the pests or timing of like when to put out the beneficials and, and just, yeah, it just really supports that, um, your garden ecology. Yeah. Big time. Jewel says planting plants and adopting pets both require research, research, research before getting anything. It's true. A lot of times we're so, it's just, you go to the garden center, we get really um, enticed by, you know, certain plants, ooh and ah, and we plant it. And then we realize, oh, this little thing either grew too big or, you know, it just is, it's going to be a magnet to certain pests in your environment or, Mm -hmm. you know, and so that kind of stuff. Experiment. Mm-hmm. I tell people all the time, I promise you, I've killed more plants than you. Well, maybe not you. <laughs> I know. No, it's true. That's how we it's learn. It's true. Yeah. And, you know, and we learn. I mean, this year I ran out of a lot of time in the early spring and I planted uh, my tomatoes way too close. I just didn't have the time. I was like, I'll just put them all in. I'll, I'll space them out later. No, I never. There was no later. And these are just little tiny tomato seedlings. You, know, you can't even imagine. It's like you forget that they get gigantic. So right now it's just like a jungle. Jungle of tomatoes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Lauren says, Lauren says, I've started to plant pollinators and I've seen a lot of aphids on them. I've tried ladybugs and lace wings with both, which both work. A friend told me to get cedar shavings as a deterrent for aphids. She also said the cedar will help get rid of the green beetles in the summer. Is that right? Have you heard that? I have not heard that. And cedar I would be careful about the cedar because I'm not a hundred percent but it might be similar to um it, it might release oils that actually pre- prevent plants from growing yeah yeah I just yeah you want to be careful with cedar the same reason you have a cedar closet in your house is to keep mm-hmm. the bugs away cedars mm-hmm. keeping bugs away so good both beneficial and mm-hmm. you know not Susan says for stink bugs, have a bowl of soapy water to drop them in. They will die. Oh yeah. It's that's fun. That's one of my funnest. I love going out. It's dusk, the little bowl of soapy water and it just drop them in, just drop them in. It's so satisfying. And the, and the cucumber beetles, they're so smart. They see you come in. They just, they drop on their own. But if you've got that little bowl of water underneath, they drop right into it. Nice. 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 Any final thoughts? Well, I just like to share something that comes up a lot is that though many people I speak with and, uh, you know, work with and so forth, they, but we all have the best intention. I just want to share if you are trying to attract beneficial insects to your garden, please avoid using pesticides, even eco-friendly ones, mm-hmm. insecticidal, so neem, horticultural oil, um, spinosad products. These are all going to impact the beneficial insects just as much as the bad bugs. So um, just take a breath, observe, see what's going on, hand pick them off. And if you have to use that product, use the least toxic of all and monitor. Yeah. Yeah. And grow healthy plants. That'll assuage a lot of bugs. 
Jewel yeah. says, what does IPM stand for again? Integrated? In integrated Bye. Pest Management. We're integrating a number of different systems to mm -hmm. or tools and techniques to manage the pests. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time tonight, Suzanne. I appreciate you being <laughs> so here. So fun. See, I told you it was going to go fast. It does. <laughs> it does. Absolutely. And thank you, everybody, for showing up. Uh, we appreciate it. We'll be uh, tomorrow night. We have our Growing Grains class. Uh, you know, I recent, recently realized that grains are grasses and grass grows practically wild. So we yeah. can all grow grains. So we, we've got a grains class tonight, uh, tomorrow night. It's and then. Be cool. And then we've got our seed up Saturday on Saturday. So I'm hoping to see a bunch of you there. All right. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for joining. Thanks so much, Greg, for inviting me. It's always a pleasure. Have a great, have a great rest of your day. Bye, everybody. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.